is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. If you're a longtime listener, you are well aware that it is not easy to manage change and manage the cultural evolution that's genuinely required to deploy artificial intelligence into an industry. And this week, we speak specifically about the challenges in the pharmaceutical space. Our guest this week is Christoph Salixé, who is the CEO and founder of Turbine.ai. We interviewed them some two years ago. They've raised a tremendous amount of money since then. They've got some great traction. And Christoph speaks with us about some of what he's seen in the pharmaceutical space that have really served as barriers to these firms overhauling the way they operate with artificial intelligence. Every industry has them. And what I'd like you to listen in for in this episode are the elements of change management and the changes of culture and how teams interact. There's a lot of nuance here, and these are things that essentially anybody, whether you're a vendor or a consultant selling to the enterprise, or whether you're an internal AI champion, and I know I have plenty of you at Fortune 500s and smaller companies who are tuned into the show, who's going to have to fight to bring these projects to life, you're all going to run up against some of these same issues. So I want to give a big thanks to Christoph for airing them out. Very frankly, as a vendor, it's not always obvious that folks will be as frank as Christoph was in this episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and fly right in. This is Christoph with Turbine.ai here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Chris, I want to get into the challenges of bringing AI into pharma. A lot of the people that are listening into this program, you know, they're aware of how hard it is to bring AI into an existing enterprise. And I think pharma has some of its own challenges. You spoke to me off the microphone about how some pharma companies have in-house teams. You know, they're trying to buy startups, but there's all these friction points to making it work. How do you sum up why it's so hard? It was and is is so hard for us as well. Basically, AI. If you were to use AI the way it's intended to be, to really transform the process, how, how you develop the compounds, that's something that, that would really change how drug development would work. And as such, it has a huge opportunity cost. So first, to do that, there is the adage that software should eat glassware eventually. Uh, but to do that, you have to prove that AI works. And proving that AI works, it is not enough to to just give a few hypotheses that seem good. You really have to have drugs on the market that have been designed or have been developed using AI. And since taking any kind of drug to market takes close to a decade, with the AI, AI could shorten that by some years. But a few years, like three to five years, is likely needed in the, in the best case as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and that means that it will still take like another one, two years, maybe three, to see the first AI design therapies reach patients and maybe eventually, maybe eventually hit the shelf. But I wouldn't bet on that. But they will reach patients and we could, we could really see the kinds of effects the benefit that AI can give us. And I think that would, that would actually result in a, in a shift in, in the way of thinking in these big, big companies. But until then, there is, there is kind of an internal resistance. The other thing that we found is that it made our job much easier when we started to pitch the pharma companies that we are actually doing mechanistic modeling. So we can explain why a certain target came out to be. Uh, 
what proteins are being activated in order to kill the cell. If you just go in with a black box neural network AI, you need to have very, very good validation data to make pharma companies believe that you can you can solve their problems. And even then, so the, the problem is that you will design, they will design the next steps of the drug discovery pipeline based on the mechanisms they believe they drug will work in. And if you just give them a hypothesis that my drug will work on these kinds of cell lines, but you are not able to tell them why would this drug work in those kinds of cell lines, then they're not able to figure out what the right CRISPR therapy would be, for example, what the right amount of CRISPR treatment would be. And so it hinders their next experiments very much, unless you can have that with your black box AI needs that. So basically our original strategy was to, if we can give a mechanistic model, then we may be able to start in just one step because they can take the mechanism forward. Yeah. And I mean, you brought up one issue that I want to address here, which is that, you know, it might take 10 years or in the best case, three years to, you know, bring a drug to market. It would seem as though, yes, that would be a very long cycle to be able to say, great, machine learning worked. And it it almost feels to me somewhat unrealistic to, to expect that that would be our barometer of success, because I think most likely what machine learning or AI is going to do is help us with individual points along the process. And I would suspect the way we'd measure this would be maybe how many of X kind of experiment do we need to run in order to move to the next phase, or how many can we get done in a given day, you know, something like that. And if we have a machine learning system that can help us to limit the number of compounds we need to test or provide ideas of the right kind of protein targets or something to somebody so that maybe they have to explore less of them overall. I would hope there'd be some way to quantify that so that we could feel like we're moving forward a little faster, but maybe nobody's Mm -hmm. tracking that stuff. Am I right to presume that it would be these interim kind of frequency speed metrics we'd be trying to look at? Yes, this this is potentially one thing you could look at, but it turns out that from a business perspective, this doesn't allow you to capture the full value of your solution. Yeah. Uh, because if you were to say, I, I spared you X number of experiments, that's the value you can capture. But what you aim to say is that this is an idea you would never have figured out on your own. We didn't just save the experiments. We gave you an entirely new idea, which you wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. And, and the way to quantify that feels very, very hard. It just turns out that it historically... It hasn't really been, I, I cannot say personally, I cannot personally say that it hasn't ever been done, but I just can't see what's happening on the market. And what is happening is that many of these AI companies or any kind of novel biotech companies that are doing some kind of rational drug development with or without AI, they are turning into these kind of small pharma companies because this is what pharma believes in. When you have the patent, you have the value assigned to that. So you don't have to develop the entire drug on your own, but you have to do the first steps. And that's also what we started doing. And we also have our first patents in. We also started to develop turbo compounds that we ourselves have identified for certain kinds of diseases. And 
currently, that's the best way we can see how we could capture this value is by we don't come in as an AI service provider as pharma because it, historically it hasn't really worked out. You cannot just inject AI into pharma from the outside, but you can do the AI based research yourself and give them a very nice and rich data package, which ensures that this is the drug. This has been AI designed, but this might as well not have. But we, we spared basically ourselves the risk of all that attrition in the start. And now we have a compound. We have done this primary, this first round of experiments. Now it's kind of much more, kind of safer to bring this to animal trials and do the other hurdles of development. But of course, as we've cleared this, this will cost you much more. But it turns out that they're happy to pay. So there is a new deal between small biotechs and pharma companies of this exact kind each week. Okay, so they will throw down the money to skip ahead in that attrition process. And, and from what you're saying, you know, for them, obviously, it doesn't really matter. Is it AI doing it? Is it not AI doing it? Is it coming up with better ideas? Is it coming up with something that could win? Is sort of the main the main point. It's really interesting that the value is hard to measure along the path. I would imagine there's some processes like how long does it take for us to come up with the compounds we want to test against this particular protein target, for example. Like how long does that take on average? And then see if we can run two cohorts, one group that uses this AI search and discovery tool for our protein or our compound library, and another that just uses the old system. And just see, can we make it, like, I don't know if this set of drugs or this set of drugs is going gonna, is gonna to cure cancer. I don't know. But what I can say is it feels just as efficacious, but they're spending 25% less using this this process versus this process, okay, that feels like value to me. It feels very hard and almost unfair to have to have it count on the discovery of the drug and the curing of the cancer before we could say AI did us some good. Is it really almost impossible to find that middle ground value? You know, something uh, other than that? I, I'm sure this will eventually happen. It just, there are so little amount of data on it. So it's, it's yeah. not like every pharma company does a hundred new drugs each year, but just, just a handful. And yeah. this is exactly the kind of data they are not too keen to share with each other. What, what made us develop the drug faster? Yeah. So you have to work with your internal data, which means you have like a dozen data points max each year. So this is bound to eventually happen somehow. It just, it takes a very long time, a lot of time. It takes a very long time to accumulate the amount of data you need for them. I'd like to kind of close out on, you know, this is our, our making the business case episode, and we're talking about the challenges of deployment and, and the, the, the motives of the buyer. And these are really important things for making AI come to life uh, in any industry. You and I talked off microphone about the way that you folks are trying to, you know, integrate AI into pharma is not so much to give people a new set of AI tools that they have to use, but to sort of make it so that they don't even really see the AI per se, you guys are able to just handle it and work it into their existing workflows. I feel like that I've heard the exact same thing happening in areas like diagnostics, where the doctors aren't learning to use computer vision. These images are just getting piped up into the cloud. They're getting labeled by some super trained algorithm, and then they're brought back down to the doctor as like a layer of value, but there's no learning here. It's just, it's regular workflow. To some degree, is that what you're doing in life sciences and, and why? I'd love to get your breakdown of how you're aiming to cross this bridge. Exactly. So 
you you really to to get these kinds of deals to happen, you certainly have to cut down opportunity cost uh, as as much as you can. And for the big kinds of companies, we work with these these opportunity costs of learning. Uh, teaching a new kind of AI system, if, even if it's very, very user-friendly, which they are usually not, let's be honest. They're but, usually not, yes. But even if they are very user-friendly, it takes them a lot of human resources, which isn't particularly cheap, to train their employees, and it might not work out in the long run. So what we, what we found to be the best way is also the same to, to really do uh, the AI parts in-house, and for all it's worth, we wouldn't need it to have needed to use the AI. But if we didn't, we couldn't have come up with the same kinds of ideas, with the same depth, the same kinds of explanation that we can. And these are actually visible in the reports we give to the pharma companies. But yes, that's what we found out as well. Also, also one more thing is that AI is, is kind of a baby of your own company. You have a sense for how it behaves, in which circumstances it behaves best. So it's good to have an internal team that can actually supervise and have a good sense of what might be artifacts based on the training data you have, based on uh, your previous experiments that might be worth censoring out and maybe changing the ranking just a bit in order to fit these kinds of uh, experiments. And, and these, even when you manage to train employees from another company, these are the kind these kinds of insights uh, they wouldn't have. Yeah, I, I, uh, the way that I see this, Chris, maybe I'll see if you can joust this idea a little bit as we wrap up. It seems to me like yes, the opportunity cost is big. You know, to to train people on a new system when AI is still admittedly quite experimental in terms of exactly where and how it adds value, where and how is maybe too much of a risk. And so you folks are sort of tackling that risk, handling this stuff just off-premises, so to speak. You get whatever information you need from them. You provide back whatever kind of reports or information they wanted, and, and that's the value. It seems to me as though once it becomes self-evident that certain kinds of ML applications for finding proteins, finding compounds, speeding up processes, once it becomes evident that this is obviously the new way, like the, the new way that drug is the new normal for drug discovery for anybody that wants to compete, then the purchases of these companies, the, the acquisitions will occur, and then the investment and training will be done because there will be confidence behind it that, hey, this is inevitably where the market's going anyway. It feels like we're going to have to cross that confidence threshold before systems change. Yeah, yeah. I, I also believe that we can, we can see these kinds of mass acquisitions happening in the, in the next two years. Oh, wow, really? So does that mean you're somewhat optimistic that people will see that some of these applications in life sciences are really the next wave, the necessary next wave to make it that they, they actually have to start integrating them into workflows instead of just sending stuff off and then receiving stuff? Well, I think, yeah, may, maybe I was a bit optimistic on that on the timeline, but I think this this eventually should happen. Maybe maybe not in one, two years, but in, I would say, in five years, this, this yeah. is something that should be starting at least. Got it. So that the, the confidence will raise to the degree to which they say, okay, these startups are not doing a different fun thing. They're doing the future thing. We need to now do that. We, we have to now evolve a little bit tangibly and change our workflows. You think it'll take that kind of a, a shift? 
Yes, yes, I believe so. Well, these these kind of estimations are are historically uh, always very wrong to yeah, any yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the time horizons, I don't feel very confident with the general idea that they ain't going to change until they know this is the actual new normal. That that actually, I, I probably would put a little money on that. I probably would put a little money on that. Um, so we'll have to see. I'm certainly rooting for you guys. If you if you guys keep doing what you're doing, I'm sure you'll get there. You're welcome to do so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no risk to you on that one. I'm, I'm not much of a gambler, but if I was, anyway. All right. Hey, Chris, I know we wanted to be short on the second episode. I appreciate you joining us again. Thank you, as always, for sharing your insights, man. Thank you, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you are not already, be sure to stay connected with us on social. We are just at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter. That's pretty easy. Or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research with a J on Facebook or on LinkedIn. We have a growing social following. And I myself am starting to do more open discussions on LinkedIn about the topics that we cover on the podcast and in our weekly articles. So be sure to stay connected with us on social if you want to not only get all of our latest podcasts, but also all of our latest articles and infographics and the other research that we produce here at Emerge. I certainly do appreciate you tuning in and I hope you were able to stay connected. That's it for this episode. Be sure to stay tuned for next Tuesday as we get back into use cases here on the AI and Business Podcast. 